Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to Matthew 25, to Matthew 25, and then I'd also invite you to take out your notes in a place that you can write a couple things down, because I'm going I'm to take you through a list of questions, and I want you to personalize them. And I notice that some of you aren't moving, but I really would like you to write these down, because this, this is a, an, an incredible, if you will, critical message. Because if we're talking about God's amazing gifts, and believe it or not, we're going to talk about the amazing gift of failure. Let me just say it again. We're talking about God's amazing gifts, and we're going to talk about the amazing gift of failure. And I want to help you with that. So if you've got a place, we'll be in Matthew 25 in just a moment, but I'm going to give you nine questions, and I want you to write Y for yes or N for no. And this is a moment of you to be truly honest with yourself. Uh, remember this, as much as dishonest you want to be with yourself, you just need to know that God and the devil are always very honest with you. Just always remember that. We can always put on a mask and play pretend and not deal with the reality of who we really are, but God and Satan always knows who you are. You're never hiding it from them. You cannot fool them. And yet that's what Jesus meant when he said, what is it about you that you want to gain the world but lose your soul? Because I know the real you. I mean, you got everybody else fooled, but you never fool God and you never fool the devil. He knows you. And so I'm going to ask you some questions just real quickly. I'm not going to give you a lot of time to think about it. Why for yes and for no? Here's the first one. Do you ever worry about what other people might think about you? Just real quickly write that down. Now, some of you might be, real quickly, you might be thinking, Oh, well, I don't really worry about what people think of me. Let me just put it this way. 99% of the time, you might appear to have it all in confidence. The question is, is there a moment you ever worry about what people might think about you? Here's number two. Do you ever worry about your ability to go after a dream that's on your heart? Like you have this big dream, but you just sort of like, I'm not sure I really, man, can I accomplish it? Can I really get it done? Here's number three. Do you ever worry that people will lose interest in you? In other words, stop loving you, especially if they knew what you knew about you. Are there people that, boy, boy, if you really told them the real you or really walked through that, that would be a concern to you. Here's number four. Do you ever worry that people might see you as not smart enough or competent enough? I've heard so many people say, listen, when I'm in a group of people, I, I never raise my hand to answer the question because I don't want them to think I'm stupid. All right? And that's, that's what I'm talking about here. Like you actually have a thought, but you're just not going to share the thought because you're fearful that it just might come out as a bad thought. All right? Or people might think it's stupid. Here's number five. Do you ever worry about disappointing people, especially those you value? Do you ever think about, man, I just don't want to disappoint anyone. Number six, do you ever say certain things to lower expectations just in case you fail? Do you put yourself down falsely? Okay, here's number seven. Do you ever get last minute headaches 
stomach aches, or other physical symptoms while preparing for something important. I hear a little chuckle on that one. Here's number eight. Do you ever get distracted by things that prevent you from completing your preparations? Are you one of those people you'll be working on something like, man, I just need to focus my attention here. Here's number nine. Do you tend to procrastinate and run out of time when you're preparing for something? Have you ever said these words? Man, if I just had a few more days. Now, now ready for this? Did anybody put an end on all nine? Because I want to meet Jesus in the flesh, okay? <laughs> all right, he did resurrect and he's here today, okay? Every one of us put a Y down on something, didn't we? Are you ready for this? Every one of these are symptoms of the fear of failure. Every one of these are symptoms of the fear of failure, which brings me to this. We all struggle with it. Every one of us here struggles with the fear of failure. And what we're going to talk about is so vital to your life. So critical. I saved it for the last one as we're wrapping up the series. Because the fear of failure, you ready for this? Will paralyze your potential. Now, you ready for this? And yet God could care less about potential. Hey, have you ever heard these words? They have so much potential. And did you know that's not biblical? God never gave you a potential. God gave you a purpose. The world plays on the potential. Oh, that he has so much potential. God could care less about your potential. He gave you a purpose. The question is, are you living the purpose? We chase potential. That's why so many parents shove their kids into sports and early things because, oh, they have so much potential. If they could just be this or that. God doesn't want you to be this or that. God already created you for what he wanted you to be. The only problem is, see, here's where fear of failure comes in. The only problem is, I'm not sure that we want to be what God made us to be. We want to be somebody on the front of People magazine. We want to be someone on Sports Illustrated. We want to be something everybody applauds. We could care less if heaven applauds. We want to fear, experience the world, if you will, applause, which brings about failure and then the fear of it. Because here's the deal. We're more interested in how other people see us than how God already knows us and does. And you know how he sees you? He thinks you're flat out awesome because he made you. What's our struggle why we can't live in that? The fear of failure will paralyze your potential and yet God's not about potential. It will depreciate your purpose. It will kill your dreams, rob your joy, and prevent you from any lasting success. You'll have successes. The only thing is they'll be temporary and then you got to chase the next. And you're more driven by failure than you are the joy of living. The fear of failure will keep you from becoming all that God intended for you to become. And I'm going to show you that. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 25, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. 
the New Living Translation, Matthew 25, and we're going to begin in the 14th verse. Again, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. It's a parable called the parable of the talents. You've probably heard it. But look what Jesus says. He is the one speaking here. Again, the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus talking about? Come on. He's talking about the kingdom. He's not talking about here on earth. He's talking about what is to come. Because to God, what is to come is much greater than the very moment you're in. That's why everything you face is temporal at best. Why do we let it paralyze us in the moment when God is bigger? No matter how bad it gets, it's temporal in the hands of God. Amen to that? Because the kingdom wins. You die. It's, by the way, let me just say it this way, and, and, and I'm not going to do this justice, so give me a little grace here. But many of you know that my dad had a heart attack. My dad's 83 years old, and, and he should be dead. And I should have been the one that caused his death. Because a week prior to, we were down in Florida, and we, we took him to Disney. And, and I had no idea that, that I couldn't figure out, man, Dad, why are you like so tired? <laughs> and, and to get around, you can imagine, one side of his heart was blocked at 85%, the other was blocked at 90. And I'm like, Dad, come on, hurry up. <laughs> you know, God's like, he's going to kill him. <laughs> I, I, you, you ever heard parents say this? You're going to be the death of me. That would have been me almost out of Disney. All right. And how bad would that have been? You know, going on a ride, dragging dad, going on a ride. No, anyway, okay. But bad joke. Okay. But here, here's the deal. People come up to me and, and, and they'll express sympathy. And truly in my spirit, I didn't know how to answer that. People go, how's your dad? And I said, well, he got a stint put in. I talked to him the next morning, and, and within 24 hours, they put the second one in. He, he's doing really good. And they go, oh, that's great. And in my spirit, I'm going, so if he'd have died, that's not. That, that was going through my spirit. Every time someone goes, that's great. So if he died and he's home with Jesus, that'd be bad? I, I'm just being up front with you. I'm not, that's why I said, give me some grace here. Because we could go on and on with the argument. Sadly, I should probably not have brought this up. It was not in my notes. Uh, because some of you, that's all you're going to think about the rest of the message. You're not going to hear anything. And afterwards, you're going to write me a note and you're going to go off on me and tell me about how wrong I am. You know, I mean, I know how it works. So I'll look forward to your email, whoever that'll be. But because uh, this happens in my life all the time. But, but I want you to think about, by the way, if it's probably consuming you, it's probably because it's something you needed to hear anyway. So I would encourage you, don't write me, pray first. But... I really mean that because the Bible says we're supposed to be chasing the kingdom, not the kingdom on earth. And maybe our eternal future, we struggle with it as much. And maybe that's why when it comes to our financial future, we'll spend more time buying things of the earth that we cannot keep. Instead of what Jesus said, put your, king, put your treasures in heaven. Same principle. Because we like control. But I want you to know... It's good that, yeah, my dad's still here for a few more days. It would have been great if he's home with the father because that's really what it's all about, folks. And so I never responded. I would simply tell people, I'd say, I'm not, I'm not sure how to answer that. 
I, I don't know if I want to say I'm grateful. Not that I don't want my dad around because selfishly, notice how those words came out first. Selfishly, I like having my dad's voice and his counsel that I can call him up, but I know that days, those days are numbered and they're coming fewer and fewer. But I said, it, obviously, it's pretty clear that God's not done with my dad this side of heaven. And that's what my dad said when I talked to him the first time. He simply said, wow, they put this stint in. It's like I feel like a new man. I said, of course it is, Dad. Blood flow's really important. That's what I told him. <laughs> okay? <laughs> it's really important. I mean, and I said, but I said, Dad? Well, then he said this. He said, obviously, God's not done with me. And I'm looking forward to finishing this doctorate and pouring into these students that they have me pouring into. That's the first thing he said. And I said, Dad, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And here's Jesus saying, it's all about the kingdom. Everything we do is about the kingdom. Don't miss this when it comes to what we're going to talk about today. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, he's speaking. The one who was there left the throne of heaven, now is on earth and is going to go back to that throne. Says the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated. Don't miss this. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what the kingdom looks like. It can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Some of you are reading out of a translation that uses the word talent. Hold on to that. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it up in proportions to their abilities, and then he left on his trip. Three people come, very wealthy man, this is the kingdom. He entrusts to these three people his fortunes, and then he says, I'll be back. Look what it says, verse 16. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Whose money? Yeah, don't miss that. Whether you agree with this or not, here's the reality thing. Everything you got is God's. He entrusted it to you. It is not yours. It's all God's. And if you're holding on to it, welcome. If you're sitting here right now, go, I disagree with you. Okay, we'll, all, we'll see how that works for you when you're at your funeral. Okay? Because I've never seen, and you've seen it, and you've heard it before, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And we never will. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. Look at, the, look, look at their dialogue here. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the best we'll always be when it comes to God. We'll never be adults. We're always children. We're always servant of the Most High. 
You have been faithful in handling, look what he says, you've been faithful in handling a small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. I love it. They put our church name right in there. I want to I pause there for a moment because I think this is important. Remember when I told you to circle the word talent? The word talent here, the word talent here actually is a measurement of gold. So when you're reading this, we'll come back and we're going to finish this, so I, but I don't want you to miss this. He gives the guy five talents. It's a measurement of gold, but let me tell you what a measurement is. One talent back in Jesus' day, one talent of gold was equal to the average body weight of a human being. I want you to catch this. One talent, roughly 195 pounds. That's just one. One talent. Imagine the guy who has five talents. If you round it up to 200, we're talking about 1,000 pounds of gold. This is an amazing amount of money. Fair? Now watch this. The master is full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Verse 21, you have been faithful in handling this small amount. Isn't it crazy? I don't know about you, but 195 pounds worth of gold today would be a lot of money. Would you agree with that? And yet God says to the guy who had 1,000 pounds of gold, you've been faithful in handling this small amount. See, we, we get enamored by all the wrong stuff. We, we, we think Mark Cuban's rich. I mean, that's what's funny. Oh, if I could just be Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban, you can keep that crap. When I get to walk the streets of gold, what you and I value here, God calls pavement there. I mean, it's pretty amazing what's to come. And we get so wrapped up, and it doesn't buy us anything anyway. It's all temporal at best, isn't it? And we're not talking about money today. Just watch this. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver, roughly 400 pounds of gold, came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. There it is again. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid. Notice the words. I was afraid. I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. You wicked and lazy servant. I want you to listen to this very carefully. If you want to write, this is not going to be on the screen. This is just for you. You might want to write this down. There's three things I want to tell you about you and I. Everybody has talent. Everybody has a gift. You ready for this? A gift that was endowed by God and a gift that's worth more than any amount of gold. Did you catch that? Whatever God's given you, it's greater than anything this world could offer in buying. And here's number three. 
God expects a return in what he gave you. And we're not talking money. See, I see it in the church all the time. I think most people in the church see them as a one-talent person. I think most people see themselves as lesser than. Well, I'm no Chris Fickle. Well, I couldn't do what you do, Pastor. Oh, my goodness. Man, I, I'm not even in the league of Reed DeVries. I know this to be true because it's why Satan puts all over the television screen and the marketing of what a woman's supposed to look like. A thing called the voice. Boy, if you could just sing like that. Young people thinking if I could just get to the NFL, then I would be someone. They just see themselves as the one talent person. And they don't even realize that this one talent guy was consumed by the fear of failure. Consumed by the fear of failure. And so many people in God's church say, I'm a follower of God, and yet they do nothing for God. And they always have an excuse. And here's the deal. Because they're more focused on what they're not or what little they have or what they could lose rather than what God has entrusted to them. And they miss the divine. So they bury it. They play it safe. And Jesus says, you wicked, lazy slave. Now, I know this might seem harsh. But I have to tell you, as your pastor, my greatest fear is that one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to hear him say those words to you. I can't, I can't speak for you. I just know there's nothing more important to God than your life being used by God for the glory of God. I know nothing more important than that. Nothing more important than that. Listen to this very carefully. You cannot play it safe. I'm going to say it again. You cannot play it safe and please God. I'm going to say it one more time. You cannot play it safe and please God. The Bible says, look at Hebrews 11. This is in the Bible. Again, I didn't write this stuff. Without faith, finish it with me. It is impossible to please God. Without faith. You know what faith is? Faith is when you die to yourself and think of others more important than you. That's what faith is. Nothing matters more to God than people. Nothing matters more to him than relationships. And think of our world right now. Even in light of COVID, people are more isolated, more scared than they've ever been. They will fork the relationship because of a fear. And you see it everywhere in this country. And this isn't a message about a pandemic. This isn't a message about money. 
but you cannot play it safe and please God. The Bible says without it, it's impossible to please God. Don't miss this. If we don't learn to step out and take risk, the Bible says we are not walking by faith. And if we're not walking by faith, we're being unfaithful. In fact, the Bible takes it one step farther in Romans 14. Whoever's not of faith sins. That's in the Bible. Who's ever not of faith sins. It is sin. So I'm going to give you four truths about failure. And I'm going to quickly then at the end give you three action points that will help us. Because we've got to understand failure is a gift. We don't even get it. Does anybody, does anybody know this passage? Okay. We all fall short of the glory of God. Anybody heard that passage? Okay. Do you know how you get saved? When you realize you make mistakes. I'll never be good enough. Failure is what leads you to salvation. If you keep walking around in the fear of failure and walking around in fear, you may be walking away from salvation. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. That's what Jesus said. Everything we have, the substance who we are, is we understand who God is and who we're not. Is that fair? Come on, can I get an amen? All right, so let me tell you four things about failure. And the first one ought to make you just go, ah. Oh. Here's the first one. Everybody fails. Can you all say it with me? Come on. Everybody fails. Now you're going to say it again and do this. Go, everybody fails. <sighs> right? Everybody fails. <sighs> Repeat after me. We all fail. Look at someone and say, you fail. Folks, we're all flawed. Can I be the first one to say, welcome to the failure club? Okay? Isn't it just feel good? You're inside. You're included. Is it? All you have to be is you. And the door's wide open. Welcome. We all fail. Everybody fails, folks. You fail. I fail. We all fail. You know the old adage, if you first don't succeed, try trying again. It's wrong. If you at first don't succeed, you're normal. You're just normal. Look at Ecclesiastes 7 says, there is no one. Anybody know what the word is there for no one? That'd be no one. Okay. There's no one on earth who always does what is right all the time and never makes a mistake. No one. And it takes one to know one, doesn't it? So I'll say it again. Welcome. We all fail. Here's number two. Failure isn't final. 1985, some of you might remember this, Sergio Zyman was the mastermind behind the reformulation of Coca-Cola, and he introduced, anybody know what he introduced in 1985? New Coke. Anybody know how that went? I just heard it. Okay, I just heard it. By the way, that move was the first time in 99 years that the formula of Coke was even altered. Did you know that? 99, almost 100 years. And Sergio went, I have an idea. It lasted 79 days and cost Coca-Cola $100 million. Can anybody say, failure? Failure. He left the company. No kidding. He went over to Pepsi. No, he didn't. Okay. All right. But, but now watch. Ready for this? But he was rehired in 1993. Does anybody know why he was rehired? 
He's the one who about killed the company. He was also the one who saved the company. He came back in 1993 and he introduced Coca-Cola Classic. And he took a failure that nearly killed the company and made it and turned them around to be one of the most profitable companies. It's a beautiful thing. Failure isn't final. You ready for this? Unless you make it final. Everybody fails. Everybody fails. Oh, I'm a failure. I blew it. I'm going to hell. God's going, yeah, yeah, it's good. I'm glad you're admitting it. But too many people, this is the way they die. Instead of realizing I'm a failure, I need you. And he's like, yep. And you'd be amazed what I can do. We did a whole message. Because he can take all things and use it for his good and his glory. Failure isn't final. It's not final. See, the fear, ready for this? The fear of failure is far worse than failure itself. Failure is a one-time moment. The fear of it goes on and on and on. In fact, write this down. Failure is short-term, but the fear of failure is long-term. I, I want to I bring a friend of mine out. I always like to tag team with Reed. I want to help you with this, because this is really important that you catch this. Y'all know how these things work. I mean, how they work. Beautiful, aren't they? It's a beautiful thing. I love this stuff. See, I want to tell you a couple little stories. George Washington lost two-thirds of all of his battles. In fact, history tells us that George Washington only really won one battle, and that's the one that changed the war. He was like the worst general and leader you could ever have in the military. But you know what he's remembered for? He got back up. And today he's known as the greatest president we've ever had. It's crazy, isn't it? How about Napoleon? Did you know that Napoleon graduated 42nd in a class of 43? Did you know that? That's an absolute fact. But what's he remembered for? Got back up, conquered Europe. How about baseball legend Babe Ruth? Struck out 1,330 times. In fact, you probably don't know this. In 1923, the great Bambino <laughs> struck out more than any other player in the major leagues that year. But what's he remembered for? He hit 714 home runs. And still to this day, he's third overall. Just ahead of him is Barry Bonds and Hank Irwin. And Hank, or Hank Aaron. And they say that Barry Bonds, they're not sure he even deserves that. How about Albert Einstein? Did you know that he didn't learn to speak one word of English until he was four years old? And did you know when he went through all of junior high and all of senior high high school, every one of his teachers told him he was a failure? Did you know that? 
But what's he remembered for? A really lousy haircut. No. <laughs> what's he remembered for? He got back up. And he's considered the greatest physicist of all time. Galatians 6, 9. We must never get tired of doing what is right. Because if we don't give up in the struggle, we will. We will get a harvest at the proper time. Solomon says it this way. Even though a righteous man falls seven times. Even though a righteous man, a godly man falls seven times. Even though he just keeps getting knocked down. I just find it interesting. Seven times. That's how Solomon describes, you know, the Christian, the follower. Even though a righteous person falls seven times, he rises again. I love this passage because you know what it tells me? Godly people make mistakes. But you know what makes them godly? They keep getting up. You just can't keep them down. You can beat the crap out of them. And they will just keep getting back up. And you know what makes them righteous? Because they know that their God's bigger than anything they ever go through or face. By the way, I'm just going to really say this. If you don't learn to bounce back, you'll never, ever know what could have been. You're just never going to know. I'm just ornery enough in my spirit. I want to know. Here's number three. This one's going to surprise you. So again... Everybody fails. Failure isn't final. It's not fatal. But here's number three that most people miss. Failure is your reservoir to success. It's your pool to your party. In fact, it's the only pool that God will ever give you. It's the front door, if you will, to everything you really want. You know the old adage, no pain, no gain. See, I've heard it said, failure doesn't mean I'm a failure. It just means I haven't yet succeeded. Failure doesn't mean I haven't accomplished anything. It just means I had the privilege to learn something. Failure doesn't mean I'm inferior. It just means I'm not perfect. Failure doesn't mean I've wasted my life. It just means now I have an excuse to start over. Failure doesn't mean that I should give up. It just means the next time I might have to do a little bit harder. Failure doesn't mean that God has abandoned me. It just means that he must have a better idea, a better plan, or maybe a little bit different route. Proverbs 28 says this, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes will never be successful. Never. Winston Churchill, I love the way he said it. Success consists of going from failure to failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. And yet we've all heard it. There's just some things you're not going to learn any other way. You're just not. You're just not. So here's what I want to encourage you. I think we need to stop calling it failure and start calling it education. And some of you, if you'll be honest, you already have a PhD in it, okay? It's okay. It's okay. Nathaniel Hawthorne, you all know who that is. Considered one of the greatest writers in American history, wrote The Scarlet Letter. Anybody read that? Anybody? Just me? Okay, it's good. It's actually good, okay? And yet, did you know that he, he never thought he'd be a writer? He never believed he was a good writer. He was actually a customs clerk. And he was fired because they told him he was terrible at it. He comes home to his wife and he says, I'm a total failure. This is actually historically documented. 
I'm a total failure. I can't even support us. I just lost my job as a customs clerk. But his wife, being brilliant and loving, took him by the hand, led him to the kitchen table, pulled out a piece of paper, an inkwell, and an ink pen. And here's what she said. Look, you've always wanted to write, never thought you could. Now you have all the time in the world to write. And he wrote the scarlet letter. It's your reservoir. Maybe getting fired from the job was God's way of, I've been trying to tell you, I don't want you to do that. I got so much, so much better for you. Maybe some of you need to go back into your boss and say, you know, the one to let you go and said, thanks for the gift. Because God's not about potential. He's got about a purpose. Colonel Sanders, we know this story, but how come we never embrace it? Failed at everything he did until he was 65 years of age. And it was then that he figured, 65! He's going to retire from failure. And he learns how to cook chicken under pressure, and that chicken was finger-licking good. Everybody fails. Failure isn't final. It's your pool to success. Can I encourage you? Start swimming laps. Here's number four. God can use all things, including your failure, for good. We did a whole message on it. Everything you got in your life, God can use for his glory, his good. 1968, Spencer Silver, a scientist at 3M's headquarters, was working to create a strong adhesive, but he kept failing. He just kept failing. What he ended up creating, however, was a light enough thing to easily remove and peel it apart. Y'all know where this is going, but he didn't see it. It was a co-worker several years later who realized and looked at it and said, we should call these post-it notes. These are great. And the rest is history. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Write this down. No matter what happens, God still does. Let me just say it again. No matter what happens, God still does. Amen to that? So I'm going to invite the team out. And I want to give you real quickly three steps that we can take to reduce our fear of failure. Real quickly, these are simple. Please hear this. Three steps that we need to, we need to enact. We need to take forth. So we will reduce this whole idea that failure. We, we just got it all wrong. It should be education. It's part of life. It's in there. It's going to happen. We're all going to fall short. The Bible says that. It's part of who we are. It's our design. Why? When we fall short, guess who gets to show up? Okay? So three steps we can take to reduce this fear of failure. Here's the first one. Stop comparing yourself. We've got to stop comparing ourselves because every time we do, we're setting ourselves up for failure. <laughs> every time. People, listen. When I listen to Stephen Furtick preach, let me tell you what goes through my mind. Oh, crap. It's hard enough to, 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 to lead a church when you got, I mean, then they got this. I mean, I, I'm going I'm to just help you out. You don't have to come up. I already know. I'm not, I'm not Andy Stanley. I'm not Charles Stanley. I'm not David Jeremiah. I'm not Chuck Swindoll. I'm not Stephen Furtick. I'm not Craig Rochelle. I'm not Joel Stein. I'm just being up front with you. 
There's a reason why their churches are packed and mine's not. I'm like, oh, crap. And then someone comes up to me in the church and goes, did you hear Stephen Furtick this week? And I'm like, oh, crap. Okay. But you ready for this? I don't want to be Stephen Furtick. Because he listens to me and goes, oh, crap. No, no. Okay. I'm just telling you. I don't want to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Pastor appreciation. Suck up. Okay. <laughs> but, but please hear this. I want to be me. Because that's who I've got to answer for. I will tell you, Stephen Furtick to me is a five talent guy. God's using him. That's why he gets beaten up so much. Bigger the target, more people shoot. I love the way he preaches. I listen to him. Read the books. I love to read. I'm probably more this one talent guy, but I like the talent he gave me and I want to return it back to him. I don't want to bury it based upon someone else. Because that one talent, see, you may think, well, I have nothing to offer. That's a lie. That is a lie from the pit of the devil. That is a lie from the pit of the devil. Because I already told you, God's already endowed everybody here with something. And it's not your potential. It's his purpose. And he does expect a return on it. But who are you to go, well, I'm no Chris Fickle. You're right. You might go, well, I only really influence one person. But you don't know that that one person's the next Billy Graham. Why is it that we do that? We got to stop doing it, folks. We got to stop comparing our seed with someone else's harvest. Just plant your seed and let God grow it up. See, one of two things happen when we compare ourselves. One, we get discouraged because somebody's doing it better or we get arrogant because we think we're that one doing it better. Both are bad, they're both wrong. We gotta stop comparing. Second Corinthians 10, Paul says, we do not dare compare. We don't dare compare as some do. For when they compare themselves with one another, they are unwise, acting foolish. We don't look around, we just keep looking up and let God work through. Here's number two. We need to change the way we think about failure. You see, failure isn't missing a goal. Do you know what real failure is? It's not having one. How many times you've heard me say, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. John Maxwell flips it and says it this way. If you're not failing, you're probably not really moving forward. You're just stuck. So play with me on this one. Imagine you're 35 years old. Everybody in the room's 35. Come on, can I get a shout of amen for all of those older people? Okay, you've been a whaler. You've been a gold miner. You've been a stockbroker. You've been a real estate broker. And you've been a retailer all those years, up to 35 years. And you failed at every one of them. And when I say failure, in retail, you had six businesses. Four of them went bankrupt. You're a 35-year-old failure, and yet you decide, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to open up another store. And all of your family and friends are telling you, you're an idiot. And yet 144 years later, everybody knows your name. Macy's. R.D. Macy. Wow. Number three. This is really important. We got to stay focused in God's love. 
Because love is the antidote to fear, not faith. There's faith, hope, and love, right? Faith and trusting God's word, hope that one day we're going to be with him in glory. But the most important thing is love. That's what Paul said. The greatest of these is love. Because you can't be afraid in love at the same time. See, if we're really going to walk by faith, you ready for this? Then the friendships greater than any fear. I can't speak for you. I'd rather be with you, get something from you and die from it than never be with you and live another 10, 20 years. You gotta be kidding me. I'm just being upfront and telling you where I'm at. You can't be afraid and love at the same time. This is why some people, we're all afraid of fire. None of us get up and go, oh, hey, you know, we don't do that and put our hand in the fire. We're all afraid of fire. But it's why some people will run into a burning building to save a child. Because their love for that child is greater than any fear. No greater love that you'd lay down your life. I'd do anything for my kids. Anything. That's what love does, isn't it? You know what the Bible says? Where God's love is, there is no fear. Where God's love is, there's no fear. This is why Paul, you can read in 2 Corinthians 11, he struggled and failed most of his life. This is why when people come up and go, I just want to be the Apostle Paul, man. I was like, what Bible do you read? I don't know anybody that, I mean, I don't know anybody in this country. I'm not like that. You might want to go to 2 Corinthians 11. He was shipwrecked, left for dead. He was beaten, left for dead. He's thrown out. He's been in prison. He was knocked down. I mean, his whole life. Dude, he lived a better life being an unsaved person than when he got knocked off that horse a day. Think about it. His salvation was getting knocked off a horse. And he loses his eyesight. And the rest of his life, he's hated more than he's ever been hated. And people go, I just want to be Paul. And I'm like, what Bible do you read? And yet, I think what we're really saying is I want, I want that life of Paul, not what he went through. I want to have that resilience. But you know why he kept going on and on and on? He kept just getting back up. I mean, he was, oh, I mean Paul's life was just bam. And he jumped right back up. And people knocking out, he jumped right back. He gets beaten, left out of town, and goes right back into town and starts preaching again. And you know why? Because I know who I believeth. And I'm convinced that that love is greater than anything. I'm not going to fear man. Greater is he that is in me. That's why he wrote it than anything in this world. The love of God, the love of God. He knew. This overwhelming love. Isaiah 41 says this, fear not for I am with you. God is speaking to the prophet. Be not dismayed. I'm your God. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I'll withhold, uphold you with my righteous right hand. Come on, amen again? You know, Pete walked up to his teacher's desk. You'll appreciate this and I'll close. Walked right up to his teacher's desk, little Pete, holding his report card with a big red F on it and says, if I were you, teacher, I'd change this while you still can. She's like, why is that, Pete? Because my daddy told me that if I brought home one more failing report card, someone was going to get a beaten. (laughs) 
I don't think that we understand our Father. Why do we keep bringing our report card home and going to the desk of God going, I'm such a failure? Really? I don't think we know who our daddy is. I don't think we understand who's fighting for us, who died for us. You're not a failure. There ain't no failure in this room. It's a gift. You're going to fall short. That's why we need faith. You're going to make mistakes. That's why we need hope. You're not going to always get it right. That's why the greatest of these is love. And when we hold on to that love, our God's fighting for us on a behalf we can't even fathom. And we're growing in our strength and our faith like never before and the unbelievable goodness of God. What is it that God gave you and he's wanting you to use, but you come week in and week out and your idea of Christianity is just coming to church and that makes you feel like you've accomplished something and yet your neighbor might be going to hell or a coworker. God wants a return in what he gave you. What he endowed in you has eternity all over it. It'll make more difference than you can ever fathom. He's not done. You're still here like my dad. He's just getting started. Well done, thy good and faithful. That's what I want to hear, and I believe it's what you want to hear. Father, I thank you so much for your word, for the promise. We've all been entrusted with something that's much more valuable than gold beyond anything we could ever hope or expect. God, you call us to use it. Not bury it, not excuse it, not compare it. We need to redefine it and walk in that love and watch what you can do. In that holy, blessed name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone says, amen. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.